lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great and safe weekend. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, they're here with me as well. If you would like to join us today, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for clips of this show that you can sample and share with others, go to youtube.com slash Steve Dace. That's youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And don't forget, there has never been a better time to subscribe to subscribe right here to Blaze TV. Number one, we need more and more platforms right now willing to question the narrative more than ever before. But secondly, we've made it cheaper than ever before as well. Our cheapest subscription rate ever here at Blaze TV, $5 and change a month is all it will cost you if you go to if you go to blazetv.com slash dace, promo code Steve. That's blazetv.com slash dace, promo code Steve. I've got to believe, at least in the last month, we have been worth about $5 and change a month. And if we're not, though, I promise you somebody here is. BlazeTV.com slash Dace promo code Steve. Get the cheapest subscription ever to Blaze TV. We are, as the intro says, we are locked and loaded today. All right. So if you have never watched or listened to this program before, you picked a good day today. All right. Coming up next hour, it's our weekly town hall, but it's our monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything edition. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, the snottier the questions, always, Todd knows he selects those questions. Snotty questions always go to the front of the line on this program. The snottier, the better. And I have not seen these questions except for one which I asked to be asked. Okay, which is one of the snottiest questions that you are asking me right now. And I I specifically asked for this snotty question to be asked of me. So it will be. Other than that, I don't know any of the other questions. I will see them when you see them live next hour and then respond to them off the top of my head because that's usually when my best and worst work is done. At the bottom of this hour, remember Sweden. Remember that outrage that they wouldn't lock their country down. Did you like wake up the other day and you were like, whatever, whatever happened to Sweden? What's a Sweden? What is a Sweden, right? Well, folks, down the memory hole, we will go here at the bottom of the hour with data that you haven't been shown. But we will show you here on this show that will explain to you why Sweden might as well change its name to Las Vegas Shooting. All right, that's coming up at the bottom of this hour. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were locked down. What happened while we were locked down brought to you by Taking Your Country Back. Protests took place against draconian stay-at-home measures in at least five or six states over the weekend. Residents of Washington State, California, Illinois, Colorado, and Tennessee took to the streets to protest their governors and officials over laws which keep them in their homes. In California, San Clemente County officials took petty tyranny to a new low over the weekend, dumping literal tons of sand into a skate 
skateboard park after residents complained large groups of skateboarders were still using it during the lockdown. Meanwhile, ABC News' George Stephanopoulos begged Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg to label the organization of protests against the lockdowns on his platform as quote-unquote harmful misinformation. Is somebody trying to organize something like that, does that qualify as harmful information? We do classify that as harmful misinformation and we take that down. Um, at the same time, you know, it's important that people can debate policies. So there's a line on this. But, you know, more than normal political discourse, I think a lot of the uh, stuff that people are saying that is false around a health emergency like this can be classified as um, is, is, is harmful misinformation. That comes after a new study from the Department of Homeland Security shows the Wuhan coronavirus dies quickly in direct sunlight and high heat. The study says, quote, transmission from surfaces outdoors is lower during daylight hours. Sunlight destroys the virus quickly. Another study out of Chelsea, Massachusetts, showed out of 200 participants in a coronavirus antibody study, one third of them already have had the virus virus and recovered. Only about half of the 200 participants said they had at least one symptom of COVID-19 in the past four weeks. This mirrors a new study out of Sweden, which shows about one third of those in nursing homes have antibodies to the virus. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, your thoughts? Thank you, everyone who's done it the right way. But we still know there's some people who need to get the message. When you see a crowd, when you see a line that's not distanced, when you see a supermarket that's too crowded, anything you can report it right away so we can get help there to fix the problem. All you gotta do is take the photo and put the location with it and bang, send a photo like this and we will make sure that enforcement comes right away. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer responded to protests against her policies. This group, uh, this small group of people that came together without masks on, who were passing out candy and with bare hands to children, who were congregating together, who were, you know, wearing, brandishing their weapons, who were uh, having, you know, posters of um, being anti-choice. I mean, this was a political rally. This is the kind of behavior that extends the need for stay-at-home orders that spreads COVID-19. CNN's Brian Stelter tweets, Last night I hit a wall, gutted by the death toll, disturbed by the government's shortcomings. He goes on to say, I crawled in bed and cried for our pre-pandemic lives, tears that had been waiting a month to escape. I wanted to share because it feels freeing to do so. Now is not a time for a faux invincibility. Journalists are living this, hating this, like everyone else. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is Selter is a four-letter word. Some good news, South Carolinians will be able to shop in person at some retail stores once more beginning today, and beaches are set to come open later in the week. In Florida, Duval County, that's where Jacksonville is located, opened its beaches on Friday night. In Minnesota, you can golf once again. In California, one of the aforementioned skate parks that was filled in with sand was modified by skaters to turn it into a dirt bike track. 
And finally, perhaps the greatest cell phone in the history of cell phones. Harvard University Magazine recently published a story entitled The Risks of Homeschooling, detailing Harvard Law Professor Elizabeth Bartlett's upcoming symposium against homeschooling. Bartlett is a woman who has written extensively about her choice to use birth control and how that wrecked her reproductive system when she wanted to have more children. Now, she says American parents' choice to homeschool is a plague upon society, saying in the aforementioned story, quote, some of these parents are extreme religious ideologues who question science and promote female subservience and white supremacy, end quote. What makes this the greatest cell phone, however, is that the illustration accompanying the story shows a child trapped in a house made of books. The books are titled Bible, Writing, Reading, and Arithmetic, except arithmetic is spelled incorrectly. And that's what happened while we were away. Wow. <laughs> wow. You were homeschooled, right, Aaron? I was, yeah. Yeah, and you have a full-time job. I do. In the field of study that you studied in college, right? Yep. How rare is that amongst your age group? Uh, pretty pretty rare. Yeah. We homeschooled our oldest all the way through. She graduated last year. Uh, decided she wasn't in any hurry to start racking up student loan debt, liked the job that she had. She worked at a real t- retail store uh, in the mall here in town. And after a few months, they liked her so much, they promoted her to one of the youngest managers that they have in their entire national chain. Even more rare. And she makes 30 plus K a year. I, I know it's more than 30 a year. I don't know if it's 35, 32, 36. I don't know what it is. I just know it's 30 plus K a year and she has no student loan debt. And she just turned 19 a couple of months ago. How rare is that? Even more so. Even more so. Well, now who's the idiot? Aaron's Montage brought to you by Patriot Mobile. Uh, They've got an announcement to help Americans stay in touch with their loved ones during this difficult time. They've reduced their prices even further. Right now, you can let their U.S.-based team design you a customized family plan for as low as $25 and up to $55. As low as $25 and up to $55, and they will never charge you hidden fees. And unlike Big Mobile, they won't send your hard-earned money to Planned Parenthood or those gun-grabbing Democrats uh, or any of those Karens that want to end your way of life as we speak right now. And that's because Patriot Mobile only supports conservative values. So they make switching easy and keep your number, keep your phone, bring your, uh, get a new phone if you would like. Whatever it is, they'll customize it for you right now with their cheapest rates ever. Take advantage of it at patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Or give them a call at 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. On Friday, Aaron already mentioned an even more promising study done by uh, Massachusetts General Physicians uh, out of Chelsea, which is a working-class suburb of Boston. It is the second most densely populated city in all of Massachusetts. All right? Second most densely populated city in all of Massachusetts, a working class city. And what it found is essentially that community is approaching herd immunity with that kind of an antibody study. All right. Which that's the goal here. Without a vaccine, you got to get to herd immunity. Otherwise, that's that's the, the way to win medically is you get to herd immunity without a vaccine. And it, this community was indicating that they're at least very close to that uh, to that threshold. Well, that came on the heels of the study that came from Stanford University that uh, we didn't have time to break down during Friday's show. So we stuck around after the show and we did an extra video that has gone viral the past few days. And I want to share this with you right now. 
So there was some big news today out of Stanford University. We have been waiting for the results of their antibody test. It'll be the first random sample antibody test done here locally in the United States, which is key for us knowing when it is safe for us to go back and resume normal life. We had a chance today to study some of the top line results of that survey, and we want to share with you right now what that study means for you and for your family and our country's fight against coronavirus. First, a couple of things about Stanford individually. Stanford is rated the number six overall university in the country, uh, according to the annual survey that is done by U.S. News and World Report. And that puts the Cardinal ahead of several Ivy League schools, Johns Hopkins, Caltech, and others. Stanford is also rated the number four medical research institution in the country. So its credentials are globally recognized. You will not find better experts anywhere in America. Stanford set out recently to do the first random sample antibody test for SARS-2 coronavirus in the country in order to determine the virus's true infection and mortality rate, since most of the testing and data we currently have comes from the people in areas most immediately impacted by the virus, so we're constantly getting worst-case scenarios. Random sampling is necessary in order to produce a scientific survey that helps us to know how the virus may impact a community or country as a whole. The presence of antibodies means that a person has already been exposed to the virus and was never sick or recovered and is now immune. Either way, it's highly unlikely they can be infected or infect others any longer. It is vitally important to know how widespread the SARS-2 coronavirus antibodies are in determining how soon we can return to normal life safely. The Stanford study weighted prevalence of antibodies in SARS-2 coronavirus in a sample of 3,330 people adjusting for zip code, sex, race, ethnicity, etc. in Santa Clara County, California, just like you should for a scientific random sample called a serology test. Stanford found 2.49% to 4.16% of the people it randomly sampled had SARS-2 coronavirus antibodies. Santa Clara County has a population of 1.9 million people. If the mean prevalence suggested by the Stanford study is 3.33%, it would mean just over 63,000 residents in Santa Clara County have or had COVID-19. But as of Friday, April 17th, according to the California Department of Health, only 1,833 people in Santa Clara County have confirmed positive for COVID-19. So based on the Stanford serology test, the true number of cases in Santa Clara County is 35 times greater than what has been confirmed through the Department of Health's COVID-19 testing. Further, the California Department of Health reports 70 people have perished due to COVID-19 in Santa Clara County. But the current inferred case fatality rate, that's 70 divided by 1,833, would sit at 3.8% of those who get the virus die. But based on the Stanford test, that case fatality rate plunges to just over 0.1%. That means the current inferred case fatality rate of COVID-19 in Santa Clara County is off by a factor of 38. If you extrapolate 
the mean prevalence of the Stanford study out to the rest of the country. Again, using that mean number of 3.33%. It would mean nearly 11 million people in America have been infected with this virus. According to Johns Hopkins University, 33,398 people nationwide have perished. Well, with the Stanford infection rate, that would make the case fatality rate of the virus nationwide barely over 0.3%. Not 0.3% of the American people, but just 0.3% of those who have gotten the virus. By comparison... Last year's flu season, according to CDC, had a case fatality rate of 0.09%. So even the Stanford study confirms the SARS-2 coronavirus is deadlier than the flu, though not nearly as lethal as we originally feared when we shut down the country. To localize this study, let's take a look at my home state of Iowa. With a population of about 3 million people, a 3.33% prevalence mean or infection rate which means 100,000 Iowans would have been infected or 43 times higher than the reported confirmed cases of 2,332. According to the Iowa Department of Public Health, 64 Iowans have died from the disease. That would mean, according to the Stanford Serology Survey, the case fatality rate in my home state is only 0.06%. And again, that is not 0.06% of Iowans, but 0.06% of Iowans who have had the virus. Conclusion. Stanford, one of America's elite universities, is reporting the virus is somewhere between 50 to 85 times more infectious than we currently report, but 50 to 85 times less lethal than we feared based on the random sample's margin for error. Furthermore, this lends credibility to my theory, based on research from CDC, that the SARS-2 coronavirus was already here wreaking havoc much of the flu pneumonia season because it's unlikely even that level of infection could happen in Santa Clara County just since mid-March. And if it has been here the whole time, the shutdowns were unnecessary to flatten the curve or slow the spread. Both of these efforts were futile because the horse had already left the barn. All we did was risk socioeconomic ruin after the fact. Finally, even if my theory of earlier infection is not true, at the very least, the Stanford survey confirms we are still short of herd immunity, or the moment when so much of the population has been exposed and is now immune to an outbreak that you stop the contagion. And there is no way for us to achieve herd immunity under lockdown because we have kept too many of the healthy at home. Stanford's data confirms we must end these lockdowns immediately, either because it was already too late to stop the spread or we're making it worse by putting off achieving the herd immunity we need to get our way of life back. Thank you for watching this video. Please share it with as many and as often as you can over the next few days. This is the most important piece of data we have received in the battle against coronavirus yet. And if you want to share that video, it is still pinned to the top of my Facebook page. All right, facebook.com slash Steve Dace. That's facebook.com slash Steve Dace. All right, make sure you share that with as many people 
uh, as you possibly can. On Friday night, uh, thanks to Todd, I got a chance to get hooked up with the scientist at Stanford who conducted this antibody study, uh, including one of the heads of its epidemiology department. I want to give you um, a few of the takeaways that uh, I got from this conversation with them. Uh, they said they did this to get a truer measure on the infection and mortality rate because they didn't see the data out there. They didn't find it. Uh, the, this data out there was sufficient to know. So they decided to do this on their own. They used a commercially available antibody test uh, that they've used before, did not use one of those ones from the People's Republic of China that they've sent to other countries like the masks and everything else they have sent that are uh, faulty or uh, not good enough. They said their study implies the epidemic is much more widespread than what's currently being reported and should have consequences for both the models and public policy decisions. Those were their words. They are clearly attempting to, they believe, I think they, they in the, in the, in the nice science, sciencey way, they did everything, but say, this is BS. And we got to actually follow real data and not these models that haven't come through all along. They just kept reinforcing this over and over again. Um, they, they believe their test shows the virus is only slightly more lethal than the flu, albeit there's no vaccine like we have for the flu, which still fails about 30% of the time in any given season. Worked very hard. To, they worked very hard to avoid either undercounting or overcounting biases in their sampling. They said, if anything, their sample was overburdened by those convinced they had antibodies, but then didn't. But then didn't. In other words, they thought maybe the, the results would even be more widespread than they turned out to be. Said they have randomly sampled for false positives, and so far they've gone back and done a resample. Haven't, haven't found any false positives yet. Uh, they, I asked them a question that I've been dying to ask. Since Stanford first started questioning this narrative, is anybody at the at the White House? Are you guys talking to anybody there? Because what Stanford is saying, and as I point out to you, I mean, this is a university last year that was rated higher than Johns Hopkins and half the Ivy League schools. I, I mean, <laughs> this isn't some podunk juco. I mean, I'd kind of want to know if I was over at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue or the White House task force, I'd kind of want to know what Stanford thought. Uh, so I asked them, hey, because it, 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 what you guys are doing is totally counter to the Fauci. Your data is totally counter to the Fauci Burke's wisdom. And they said they have spoken to several people in government about this study, and they hope it better informs their decisions. Those were their exact words again. They're working on doing more of these surveys across the country, and they specifically said they want to see if the social distancing and shelter at home are working as intended. I took that to mean that they don't think so, and they're going to go find the data that reinforces that based on what this preliminary study out of their home county says. They also said they would like to see these types of studies done everywhere for more accurate modeling and forecasting. I did ask them as well about my longevity theory, that it's been here all the, the entire flu and pneumonia season, and that's why the models are so far off. They have, uh, they have the incorrect baseline. We have no way of knowing how to flatten the curve if we don't know when it began. Um, they said it's too early to know that yet. I thought that answer was fascinating. They said it was too early to know that yet. Real quick, what do you think that means? That means you have a real chance of being right, but they... 
there's a lot going on right now. They had a targeted thing they wanted to achieve. But if they believed they should dismiss it out of hand, they would I have. believe they would have. Yeah. They, they understand, too. I mean, this is <laughs> this is an institution with a lot more capital on the line than the Steve Day show does, right? So they have to make sure their reach is not exceeding their grasp at any point in time. They have to have control over their messaging, right? They get they get one or two things wrong out of twelve or, or twenty five. It you know it looks a lot worse for them than it does for but the that, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That part models. is telling too. This every university has contrarians. This isn't just one Stanford this university. Not. This is their university yeah. deciding. Hmm. This is a team of scientists from three different departments that were on. The, I was on this call with Friday night and their media relations person. So this is this is Stanford University's official posture. Like I've talked about Dr. David Katz, who started Yale's Griffin uh, Prevention Center. He's he's kind of on an island with some of his other Yale people, right? And, and God bless Mark Levin. I think he just put him on Fox News last night. Thank you. Okay. But this is what, what, what sets Stanford apart is as a university. Yes. They are standing aside from this and saying, eh, no, no, I don't think so. All right. Um, I, I think it, my editorial comment was, I, I think it's very clear that they are trying, you know, I, I, I theorized on, uh, on Friday or it was Thursday. I can't remember that if Stanford university, man is doing Tucker Carlson and Fox news, if they're, if they're saying, yeah, put, we'll go on a call with Steve Dace. All right. You gotta understand, man, in their, in their world, we are the red light district. <laughs> All right. Now Tucker Carlson's a bigger, Tucker Carlson's a bigger cat house than we are. All right, but you still can't be showing your face there if you're Stanford University. Even though Tucker Carlson may be the high class escort service and we might be somewhere a little more middling, you cannot be seen. All right, and in, in, in the world that Stanford operates in, you cannot be seen on these kinds of premises, right? The fact that they, and I thought the fact that they were willing to talk to people like us is indicative of the fact. Because the other people I was on this call with were like Cal Berkeley. And I mean, one of these things, not like the other. Okay. Um, uh, the fact that they're talking to people like us is indicative of the fact they are trying to influence the debate. They're trying, they're actively attempting to influence what's going on. So gentlemen, let's take a quick step back and get your thoughts on where we're at so far. Go ahead. Well, it's every week that goes by, the, the level of confirmation that we get for our instincts that are now more than a month old on this and our suppositions is still being met with the anecdotal evident, evidence that I'm pulling in from all over. And I don't know about you guys, but that it, the sorting hat of doubling down on neuroses versus just accepting reality. I, I mean, I have no idea when we go back. Pride cometh before the fall. I, I don't want to admit Donald Trump did not give me a, an apocalypse. Correct. I don't want to admit that Donald Trump will not be responsible for an apocalypse. I don't want to admit that I bought into models that are flawed and wrong. Right? I just I, So I'm just going to play this out. So be it. Y'all stay home. The rest of us going back to work, taking the country back, and it'll just be more freedom for us as opposed to those of you that can't handle it anyway. That's the way I look at it. I mean, there's still Gretchen Widmer. There's still you're 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 taking candy. You're giving candy to children. Yeah. I mean, there, there's just a level. Yeah. I mean, of anti-science nonsense coming out yep. of people in a place of authority saying things like that. 
it speaks directly to the choice of uh, shutting schools down. People thinking that's wisdom when it is flying in the face of wisdom. I, I, that's what I'm most fascinated about. The, our our so-called land of reason and science has led to this moment of utter intellectual anarchy. I might end up being the first evangelical in recent memory to voluntarily move to socialist Sweden because it appears they are far more interested in critical thinking there than I gave them credit for all along here than in so-called quote-unquote Christian America. There might actually be some people listening over there to objective reasoning and data compared to some of our countrymen. Is that what I hear you saying? You do. And wait, folks, until we tell you about Sweden next segment. Oh, as the great prophet Keith Jacks used to say, whoa, Nelly. You have got to see some of this data. But Aaron, go ahead. So specifically regarding the Stanford antibody study, when um, my, my first editorial reaction to this after I did the same thing and I extrapolated, which you shouldn't do, but this is the best This is the best test that we have so far as far as a serological study. I mean, United we assume States. the whole country is New York and City, right? Exactly. So yeah. let's just uh, assume the entire uh, country is, uh, is that county in, in California. But my first editorial reaction after this was that, you know what, this is largely irrelevant because of what Todd just said. The digging in of the heels on both sides of this debate of team reality versus team um, law lockdown for evs yo it, it it's largely going to be irrelevant and or f uh, fall on deaf ears or as some with blue check marks who claim to be conservatives they are now doing a very as todd pointed out jedi master level job of retconning and just lying to you about what they've been saying for the last month i will say this though for one reason or another i've gone down to southern iowa a very rural area where my parents live uh, each weekend, actually, for the last month, for different reasons, me and my wife have gone the last three weeks, with the exception of this week, but the three weeks previous, uh, it was the biggest indication of how this impacted the entire uh, country because they live right off the interstate and there was no traffic yesterday whatsoever. Yesterday, different story. It looked like almost normal, not quite normal, but there were actually people milling around in this rural area. So people are going... As, especially as the weather gets warmer, people are going to be fed up with this even faster. So I'll leave that. Sweden is next, and you don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Let's bring in our good friend Bob Vanderplatz from the family leader. So at what point do you walk down the hall and join us here in the studio? This is kind of getting a tad silly, don't you think? A tad? I'm kind of just enjoying this, Steve. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I showered this week thinking, I, what else could I possibly do to entice you to come back? I, right? enjoy, I enjoy the break quite a bit. Uh, but for your listeners and for your viewers, uh, the family leader is still just uh, working on a very slim amount of staff in the office. Everybody else is remote. So I thought if I'm making them do that, I probably should do it myself as well. But it is a little bit silly. I'd like to come in and see you guys again. En enough. Next week, vote populi. You're sitting over here next week. All right. Do I need to shave then? No. No. <laughs> All right. Probably be better if you didn't, actually. Okay. So What does that mean? Um, it, it, it gives you more of a, of a gruff uh -huh. exterior. Right. Yeah. I want to see the John the Baptist version of Family Leader going forward. Yes. Just like locusts, wild honey. Yes, that, that's even better. Yes. Camel skin, clothes, yes. I'm in. Yes. I'm going out in the wild real quick. <laughs> All right. So you're going to be our proxy today. All right. Awesome. 
because you have been, is it fair to say at the beginning, you were more open to accepting the magnitude of this than I probably was. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely was Okay. in regards to, you know, the stuff that we were hearing, is there a reason to go on lockdown? We haven't experienced like some, something like this before. Our leaders are telling us so, so you bet. I was definitely way more unaccepting this than you. Okay. That's why I want to make you kind of the, our, our, you get, to, you, you get, you do focus groups of other people. I'm going to focus group you now. Okay. Yeah. We're turning the tables on you this morning. All right. Because we now have a good solid month plus of data to go by. And that's key because now we've gone through two incubation cycles of this virus, right? It's 14 days. So we've gone through at least two of them with the data that we're going to look at, if maybe even more, right? And you have the approach that Sweden took, which I advocated from the beginning, uh, which was limited lockdown. Don't have, you know, let's not have, uh, you know, 15,000 people at a basketball arena, fine. But, um, you know, closing everything down, shutting everything down, ending your way of life, uh, securing the, uh, sequestering the healthy. Um, I, I just didn't think that was a good strategy from the very beginning. And Sweden took a lot of what people like me were suggesting and put it into practice. Traditional, what we used to call herd immunity. All right. In fighting plagues before uh, the world came up with things like glorious magic vaccines that they actually still don't have for most things in this world, including a SARS virus. This is how we had to fight plagues for thousands of years was a version of what Sweden is doing vis-a-vis what the rest of the West is doing. And now we have data that we can compare rather than just a week of a snapshot or a couple of weeks. We've had a couple of maybe three full cycles of this virus. And let's take a look and see how Sweden is doing against the rest of its neighbors, considering all the outrage about, you remember the outrage about what Sweden was doing, right? And I can't believe this. They hate their people and their grandkids in Sweden, right? You remember hearing that stuff? I do remember that. All right. Let's start with this chart. This is the number of daily reported COVID-19 SARS-2 coronavirus cases in the UK and Sweden per million population through April the 15th. All right. So one of these things, the blue, if you're watching on Blaze TV, the, 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 the blue is Sweden. The red is the UK. And this is deaths, not just cases. Oh, not just cases. Thank you. Okay. I I misread it. Thank you. Number of daily reported deaths, all right, in the the UK versus Sweden. Thank you for that correction, Aaron. That line, do you notice a difference, a stark difference in those two lines there, Mr. Vanderplatz? We really do, especially as you get closer to the end of those two, uh, where you see Sweden's dropping off and UK's holding steady and still inclining. Especially because about a week and a half ago at this time, Nate Silver and all of the intelligentsia, you know, when Sweden hit that peak there at about April 6th, what are they doing there? I can't believe it. They hate their people. Well, a week later, by the way, the guy that is engineering Sweden's program, he was the original founding director of the European Union's Center for Infectious Research. He was its original director at the formation of the EU. That's who is overseeing Sweden's program. Yeah, you know, just a moron. He doesn't know anything, right? Mm. So that's part one. Let's take a look at this. Lockdown democracies with higher total coronavirus cases per million, so per capita, than Sweden as of 9 a.m. Eastern yesterday. All right. Israel, which probably has the most Gretchen Whitmer thinks Israel has gone too far. 
All right. I mean, Netanyahu was seeing protest in Israel yesterday. Israel has the most draconian lockdown, I think, of any country in the West. Israel still has more cases per million people than Sweden does, as does the UK, as does Germany, as does France, Italy, Ireland, Switzerland, Belgium and Spain. How about this number? Lockdown democracies with higher total coronavirus death per capita than Sweden as of 9 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. Belgium, Spain, Italy, France, UK, Netherlands, and Switzerland, even their surrounding countries, have more per capita death than Sweden does. How about this one? Lockdown democracies lagging behind Sweden in per capita testing. As of 9 a.m. Eastern on Sunday, France, the U.K., Poland, and Greece are still behind Sweden, who will openly admit they're not doing a lot of aggressive testing because they're just assuming herd immunity and they're assuming it's got a far higher infectious rate than what the testing is. So they're not pouring a bunch of resources into testing the way the U.S. and Germany is. And still, there are several European countries, including France and the U.K., who are pouring far bigger resources into testing than Sweden is, and they still lag behind Sweden in per capita testing. And then I thought, let's really get jiggy with it. All right? Let's compare my old home state of Michigan, another a state you know well, you've been there numerous times. All right? My old home state of Michigan with Sweden. All right? These are two states with roughly the same population, 10.2 million to 9.9 million, but two vastly different approaches to coronavirus, Bob. Michigan has probably the most draconian shutdown in America. Sweden, probably the most laissez-faire in all of the Western world. Now consider, Michigan does have a lot more people per square mile than Sweden. However, Sweden's largest city, Stockholm, has twice as many people as Michigan's largest city. Stockholm has 13,000 people per square mile, just 4,800 for Detroit. All right? So, demographics are pretty similar when you balance it all out. Ready for this? As of 8 a.m. Eastern this morning, Michigan was reporting 31,424 total cases. That's 0.3% of its population. Sweden was reporting 14,385 total cases or 0.1% of its population. Sweden was reporting 1,540 deaths or 0.01% of its population. Michigan was reporting 2,391 deaths or 0.02% of its population. Sweden was reporting 12,295 active cases or 0.1% of its total population. Michigan was reporting 25,796 total cases or active cases, which is 0.2% of its population. Sweden was reporting 152 deaths per 1 million per capita. Michigan, 240 deaths per capita. Feel free. You can all consider this data, draw your own conclusions apart from the panic form, a panic porn, but I'm not sure you, based on this data, what is the definitive case that the, the taking away our financial freedom, our constitutional liberties, I don't know if you saw what the price per oil is doing today, demand drop, that's how you get a great depression with something like that, by the way, all right? Um, so when you look at all this data now, comparing what Sweden has done with the rest of the, of the Western world, your thoughts? Well, first of all, I think uh, we were dealing with a lot of the unknown. And there's no doubt that Sweden has shown, listen, let's let's allow this thing to run its course and maybe achieve some herd, herd immunity. and But let's keep having some semblance of normal life with us. Uh, the question I have is not most certainly for you, Steve, but for, for President Trump. 
I, I know we've listened to, to Fosse. I know we've listened to Burks. But who else have we listened to? Have we looked at the things that Sweden's doing versus all these other countries that you just pointed out? And remember, the biggest fear wasn't about how many people were going to be effect- infected and how many people were going to die, although that was part of it. The big thing they were telling us is that our healthcare capacity just wasn't ready to do this. We, mm-hmm. we overrun the hospitals. And what you and I have known, what you did not put in any of your data, is there's a lot of hospital workers who have been furloughed. They have been laid off. There's hospital floors that are basically empty right now because we took away all elective type surgeries. And now it's the deal about when do you reopen that as well? So I think what you're seeing now, the phase one, phase two, phase three, how to reopen a country. And I think Trump is is trying to push people that way. Let's get this country reopened. But I think, Steve, what you're seeing right now, at least from a lot of American people who may have been like me initially, let's listen to our government leaders. Uh, let's do what they tell us to do. Let's don't try to put uh, my son Lucas in, in the crosshairs. Let's don't put Darla's dad Dixon in the crosshairs. Let's don't put others in the crosshairs who, who we truly love. But now we're saying uh, we probably need to let this thing run its course because uh, the healthcare capacity seems to be just okay in most places save maybe a state like New York. Sweden has kept, by the way, the youngest children, K, their version of K through 12, have been in school the entire time. They did send the college students home because they can do that via distance learning. But one of the reasons why they kept the children there, K through 12, is because they don't pass on the virus to the adults. The adults pass it on to them the other way around, and they have the stronger immunity systems. They have the stronger metabolic activity, and this is where the spreading of those antibodies they viewed as necessary um, in order uh, to to get to herd immunity with this contagion as fast as they could. They didn't close their parks. They didn't sentence everybody to indoors. It, there's a study out of that just came out of China, and while I don't I don't advocate believing any of China's data. Taiwan agrees. Germany did the same study as well. All right. So these are separate countries that did the same study. And what this study found is 80% of transmissions were intrafamilial and or indoors, meaning you got it from somebody you knew and indoors, not outdoors. All right, we need to open these parks up, particularly with the warmer weather here now. All right, Yahoo reported that the Department of Homeland Security is sitting on a study that shows the virus, quote, is quickly destroyed, unquote, by sunlight and heat. That's what killed off the first SARS virus. That's what made it go away in the summer of 2003. We need to open these parks back up. You need to get people outside. I saw a guy on my street mowing the lawn with a surgical mask the other day. And I'm glad I've already had all my children because I would have absolutely been unable to conceive after witnessing such a harrowing act of manginaism on my own block. All right. Enough is enough. Putting all these people in these germ incubators. I mean, look at our state. What's more locked down than the nursing homes? And they're still having outbreaks and, and locked down nursing homes. Governor DeWine in Ohio, where you're politically active, is concerned about they're having lockdowns in prisons. Bob, if you can't lock down a prison, Bob, tell me what you can lock down, brother. Tell me what we can be. Tell me what will be locked down if we cannot lock down a prison. Where do we what, what, what lockdown then works? So I think it's really good advice. My friend, I read some of that stuff, Steve, before you just mentioned it uh, on air is about getting outside, getting into sunlight. We've told our team the whole time, make sure you're getting outside, you're getting exercise. Uh, and we do believe, you know, that the familiar surroundings is where it's going to be passed on. I think what you're seeing in Iowa, what you're seeing in South Dakota is different meatpacking plants where there's very, very close quarters. They've got an issue there. They need to address that issue. 
I think the other thing, Steve, though, who that primarily is, works at meatpacking plants, Bob, prim- primarily minority population as well. Illegal and, populations. Ex- ex- yes. Yep. Exactly. Yep. As a matter of fact, uh, the other thing that I think we need to discuss, though, uh, in America, at least in, in our own home state of Iowa, is a thing that we call mindset. There's been a mindset that has definitely set in about that we need to lock down. Home is our safety. That's what we run to. We shouldn't be out anymore. So, therefore, our governor of the state of Iowa just said, you know, school's going to be canceled for the rest of the year. I'm not so much sure that's what's her deal about, you know, because of what the coronavirus. I don't know how many students would go back to school, how many parents would send the kids back to school, how many teachers would actually return to school. Because the one thing, when you spook a society like this, as, as much as this society has been spooked, it's going to take a while to get them back and to get them uh, oriented again and saying you can go back into a crowded environment. But, Steve, I think you're right. I think uh, kudos to you. A lot of the data is supporting what you initially thought is right. I do believe Donald Trump is trying to push this economy open. Well, so every day his new his new press conference, I look at as much watch TV to see what's coming out next. Final thing is my assumption about this from the beginning was largely driven by how I've been deceived by many of the people that were pushing the panic porn from the beginning on Ukraine, Russian collusion, climate alarmism. I just had seen this game plan before. And every time I had tried to treat it objectively and give it a fair shake, eventually it, it, it was just, I slipped, I, I was just falling for the same banana in the tailpipe over and over and over again. And that's why I didn't buy into this. But I can completely see why, given the severity of this, compared to what the temperature might be 10,000 years from now or a 27-minute phone call to a dude in Ukraine whose name you can't pronounce, I can see why folks like you might be willing to give this a much fairer shake given what it was the, the immediacy of, of the perceived threat. But now that we are here more than a month into this, I think the data clearly shows the path we are on doesn't get us to where ultimately we want to go given the overall cost of, of, of financially, socio, socioeconomically, personally, medically for everything else other than coronavirus and everything else down the line. So clear out all those other people, all those other voices that you've heard before and you decide, you know what, they, they've lied to me before. So why should I fall for this again? The question I still have, though, is that your president, uh, our president, Donald Trump, uh, he's also the one who pushed basically the panic button. It was only two weeks ago where he forecasted for the United States, we're going to see a great number of deaths. We're going to see much death, where I believe his quoted words. And that's why for a lot of us who are even saying, you know, we've been lied to before by these guys. Mm -hmm. We know what they're trying to do here. But you also know the president of the United States and saying we need to stay on lockdown. Some others need to be locked down further. Now we're getting to the point of can we reopen it up five weeks later? Five weeks ago, I was in Arizona having dinner out in restaurants. Five weeks later, you know, I've had this office closed for five weeks. Good to see you, my friend. Thanks for joining us. All right. You, Thanks God for being love. our guinea pig. We appreciate it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Take care. Gentlemen, your thoughts on the data from Sweden that we just shared. Well, I was confident this thing was going to be uh, memory hold, especially because if if you allow for the the level of not just science, but the level of courage that 
Sweden so as a people. I mean, they they self-selected. It's not it wasn't just an orgy over in Sweden. They did social distance. I know they show pictures of bars and restaurants. Yes, we're open, but their theater numbers and things are way down. They're not being insane. It, it wasn't some sort of kamikaze mission. Mm-hmm. They were just adults. Mm-hmm. They, you know what they were? They were what Americans are supposed to be in Sweden. You know, we need more of the video Aaron had where the the kids turn the uh, sandboxed uh, yeah, yeah. skate park into a dirt bike track. That's the spirit of America right there. That's how, that that level of 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 uh, rugged individualism. We need more of that. Ask me anything is next. All right, back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV radio podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for samples of this show that you can share with others, uh, you can go get them at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And again, that's D-E-A-C-E. If you are a podcast listener to the program, if you would mind leaving us, if you haven't done so already, and even if you have, maybe you can do more. I don't know if they allowed that or not. Let's find out. Go ahead and uh, crush that uh, five-star review uh, field right there on your podcast uh, provider. Because the more of those we get, the more likely we are to get to continue to do this podcast for you, the people. Thank you to all of you that have done this for us already. Rough Greens wants to warn you that the same thing that uh, has been done to our food, stripping out pretty much all of the live organisms that we need in order uh, for it to be mass produced and have a two to three year shelf life. Well, the same thing's been done to our pets as well. And that's where Rough Greens Smarts comes into play. Because it's not a new dog food. It just makes your dog's food, your dog already likes, even better. It puts back in, it's the supplement that puts back into your dog's food what they need the most, those live organisms, those enzymes, those healthy microbacteria, the prebiotics, probiotics, vitamins, minerals, etc. Right? And my dog loves it. It apparently tastes great too because our dog, Cap, woofs it down every single day. So don't take my word for it. I don't, I don't know how good a dog food tastes. Although I did try, it wasn't snossages. What was it called? Something that was like a bacon dog treat back in the day. I did try that out of curiosity when I was in high school. And it wasn't bad. Was it pumpkin spiced? It was not yet pumpkin spiced. But if they had one of those, I could, I could, I could be enticed. All bets are off. I, I could be enticed, yes. All right, but I don't know if they've got a pumpkin spice flavor yet of Rough Greens Vita Smart. Maybe they'll bust that out later this fall. But for now, you can try the 14-day Jumpstart Challenge for just $14.95 and see your dog's improvement in 14 days or less if you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F. R-U-F-F is how Rough Greens is spelled. Roughgreens.com slash blaze. All right, let's get to our weekly town hall. It is our our monthly, though, Ask Me Anything edition where the questions come almost exclusively from Facebook. I have not seen these questions. Todd, you have selected them. I have indeed. Um, I did request, though, a question be asked of me, but this is not a layup. 
It is, it's a, it's a skeptical question that has been thrown uh, my, the, my way and the likes of my way for people who happen to agree with my perspective on this over the last couple of weeks. And I am anxious to answer it. So I'm hoping that at some point it will come up during these questions that you have given to Aaron. And now Aaron, the floor is yours. All right. The first question comes from Taryn Erzenmack, who says, how do you explain <laughs> New York City? <laughs> Like that. So, how do we explain New York City given all of the data out there? Uh, Dr. Burks put out a chart, I want to believe, I want to say it was on Saturday, uh, that compared New York City with many of the other major metropolitan areas in the country. Did you see this chart? Yes. And, and basically, what it showed was New York City is a, is a, is a one city coronavirus wrecking crew compared to the rest of America. Essentially my read of that chart was we should do everything we can to help that great city. And I know, I know it's a, it's, it's, it's not the most friendly city from a, uh, to people like us from an ideological perspective. I love New York city. I've loved it every time I've gone now. It's the old Barney rubble line. It's a nice place to visit. I wouldn't want to live there. I could not imagine living there. All right. But it's, it's a tremendous place. I, I've, I've loved, I love it every time I go. Like if, if, if we, if you told me Washington DC or New York, oh, I'm taking New York every single time, every single time. All right. So we should do everything we can to help that great city as much as we can, but the, the rest of us should largely get our country back based on that chart that Dr. Burks put out there on Saturday. So how to explain what happened in New York city? Well, well, if, if, if you look at my longevity theory that the virus was here pretty much the entire flu and pneumonia season, keep in mind that according to the New York times, Remember, we had this story a few weeks ago. The New York Times reported that even after the president's, this is where their attempt to, to blame everything on Trump actually worked to our advantage and probably Trump's actually, um, because they were they were trying to point out that Trump didn't save America with its China travel ban and pointed out that over 40,000 people from China had come into New York, into New York City just since January 31st when, when the restrictions were put in place. Well, that's how you reload a weapon right there. Okay. If you're, if you're taking in another 40,000 of these people since you supposedly had a restriction, that would explain it right there, especially when you consider this. And even if you don't buy into my longevity theory, I think the next few things I'll tell you will explain the, the, the New York City outlier. Number one, New York City has, and it's not even close, the highest per capita population of Chinese Americans in the United States. It's actually not even close. And if you, if you include all of the boroughs and surrounding areas of New York City, and if you include the amount of Chinese Americans that live there, and then the amount of travelers to and from China... Because just as Hong Kong, China is the main um, business and finance district of China, what's the main business and finance district of the United States? New York. New York City is. It's something like five times the amount of travel back and forth from New York City, from China, compared to, this, to the next closest competing uh, area, which is the San Francisco area. So... The, the amount of exposure that they had to the native land of this virus, whereas Chinatown, I believe that's in Queens. So the, the amount of exposure that they had to this virus is unmatched. Also unmatched, the demographics of New York City, the dense population with the mass transit. MIT had a story last week saying that essentially the subways seeded New York City's outbreak 
by the way, what are still open in New York? Subways. The subways. But the 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 mayor of the city there wants you to rat on your neighbors if they're if they're if they're not walking socially distanced at Central Park. That make any sense? No. You know why it doesn't make any sense? Because it doesn't make any sense. Because it doesn't make any sense. Are you sick of that yet? Oh, no. No. Okay. Oh, I'm going to remind that of people for the rest of my life. Right. I mean, rat on your neighbors who are not socially distanced out there at Central Park. Outdoors, mind you. But but we keep the subways running indoors. It, it So, I mean, they had a germ factory just sitting there running 24-7 the entire time, and it's still running actually um well steve they had to keep it open for the healthcare workers that's true to some extent but there were there were articles as recently as last week we we cited them for you on the show pointing out how healthcare workers were concerned with how packed the subways were that they weren't actually going to be able to use the, the the mass transit system to get to work to help the sick and afflicted on time all right so you've got a far greater exposure to chinese the Chinese population in New York City, you have a far greater population density than anywhere else in America, New York City. You've got an, a, a mass transit system that is utilized unlike anywhere else in New York City. You also have, it's, it, it's been a rather, re- relatively chilly. It's been, a, it, you know, even though the snow's been gone, a spring warmup has been late to arrive. So you've had cooler climates. I, I think it's actually pretty simple to explain the outlier of New York City. And I think a lot of you that are asking me this question, I know I've got to believe you're smart enough to come to these sorts of conclusions on your own. Um, Americans are not unaware, if you've, even if you've never been there. It's the most depicted city in our popular culture in the country. Americans are not unaware completely of what life in New York City is like, even if you've never experienced it yourself. So I think the lot of you that are asking me about this I, I have to believe you're smart enough to come up with this information on your own. You're just so overwhelmed with panic and emotion, you haven't even done baseline common sense thinking. And that's why we were never going to see the massive waves across the country that you were going to see in New York City. You were never going to see it because we don't have those conditions elsewhere. And then in the places that come close to it with exposure to China and things of that nature, the weather is warmer. I, I mean, that University of Hong Kong study from 2011, when did I first cite that on this show? It's been almost a month now, right? And that's the study that showed they were trying to figure out why were Canada's hospitals the Petri dish in Canada for the second wave of SARS. And it's because SARS coronavirus, which is what we're up against, SARS coronaviruses viruses survive longer indoors than outdoors in the heat particularly in climate-controlled environments on infected surfaces, even if the temperature's up to 74 degrees inside that, inside that structure. And that's why, where are, we seeing, where are we seeing outbreaks now in rural states? Meatpacking plants. Where are, you, where are these governors concerned about having outbreaks now that they're seeing? Where the, in their prisons. What is more locked down than a prison, folks? If you can't lock it down in a prison, guess where you can't lock it down? Anywhere. You can't lock it down anywhere. Because it's actually more infectious indoors than outdoors. The study I cited last hour, even though it's out of China, this information has been verified in separate studies from in, in, in Switzerland, in Germany, and Taiwan. And they all found the rate of infection compared indoors to outdoors, it's not 
even close. It's not even close, man. It's not even close, like statistically insignificantly close. It's not even close. And that's where we sent everybody home for the last month. So I, I have to believe those of you that are asking this question, you're, I've got to believe because it would only require an IQ slightly above moron. I just have to believe you just haven't, you, you've just turned out, you've just turned this off. You've just turned this off, man. And you're just out there, guts it up! You're screaming, you know? Because it, it's just common sense. It's common sense that Traverse City, Michigan isn't like New York City. And Des Moines, Iowa's not. And, and Sioux Falls, South Dakota isn't. Not even Los Angeles is. Next question. All right, this is from Darwin Fry, who says, I missed some of the first shows where you started to question the official line on the virus. I was initially very skeptical of the dramatic projections because there was no way they had tested enough based on their own protocols for testing to make the projections they were making. Only testing people with severe symptoms means not random sampling and not representative of population. Therefore, the models had to be flawed. They had to be. What was it that first alerted you? I think what first alerted me, Darwin, is, and I, I think I've explained this before. I remember um, I had, we had initial skepticism of this, just as I mentioned about Vanderplatz last hour, because of um, a lot of the same people peddling this had peddled a lot of the various lies we deal with. Uh, from gender theory to climate alarmism to Russian collusion. And it was almost the exact same, not just the same people, but almost the exact same game plan. And every other time in the last few years where I've attempted to say, hey, let's not be one dimensional here. Let's let's look at this objectively. And all I kept falling for was the banana in my tailpipe. And so after doing this like 45 times, I, I finally got to I, I finally got to my breaking point and just said, I'm just calling BS on everything now. Uh, from and my new default setting is BS on everything, and then you can prove to me later if if this one happened to be true. I'm just not believing anything these people say. But then on um, I, I was a March 16th is uh, the day that the White House launched the 15 day effort to flatten the curve, and it was later. And they said it was based Dr. Burks did on the Imperial College model, and then that evening I went it, that evening that model was released to the public. It had been given to governmental leaders before us. And that, that evening it was released to the public. And so I went and read through it. And even though like one of the very first things that it acknowledges is that it's not sure if, how the virus is transmitted. So we're going to do a, a model based on infection rates and death rates of a virus. We admit up front. It, it, let me put this in another context. Would, if, if I told you, I didn't know um, how to start a vehicle or make it go into forward um, and how and and how fast it could go. But you should trust my study on what the accident rate and fatality accident rate will be if we allow these new things called automobiles. Would you believe that? Probably not. Probably not. But that's essentially what the Imperial College study says. Nevertheless, when you read through the rest of it, man, it's really convincing. And my heart just sank reading it. And then, and then after I shut it down, as I've, I've said before, I, I heard an audible voice in the back of my head say, you need to Google Imperial College and climate change. And when I did that, boy, howdy, 
did a treasure trove of gems suddenly. It was like panning for ideological gold and we struck a mother load. From the name Jeremy Grantham I've talked about before, who is a billionaire that's donated by his own uh, admission, 98% of his wealth uh, to ending what he calls the uh, 250 year energy bubble caused by fossil fuels. I mean, that's when I saw that, that confirmed for me that this is, this is, this is where the expertise ends. And we came, I came on the air, I think almost the next day. Yeah. And I posed the question, where does the expertise end? And the worldview began. So for me, it, it originally began from doubting the motivations of those who were peddling the most apocalyptic models. And then I've not been surprised at all to see their data not pan out because it has never panned out on anything else that they've tried peddling in the past. Uh, mine was, it, my background regarding vaccination, I've gone on to on this show before, but that's informs everything uh that i uh see and hear about this and so we're canceling the high school sports seasons and the conference college basketball seasons in the the winter basketball seasons for high school sports and then uh, a couple days later i'm in the mall it's on uh, on a saturday the last time the malls were uh, the mall to any respects and while my daughter's shopping for a dress and i just go to uh hang out in a bar uh, and have a, and i'm just looking on twitter and the, the people blue checks of every stripe fear-based posting like what showing pictures in parks out in malls oh are you trying to kill people i've seen that fear before uh regarding almost every conversation uh regarding vaccination i've ever had and instantly they're saying shut down everything when this pandemic already people were talking about how we knew it didn't affect the young it, it went after the ill and it went after the old and that that i knew we had the exact pandemic if you could pick a pandemic we got the one we won the lottery on that we got the one we absolutely needed in terms of how we could really you know roll up our sleeves and do a rosie the riveter effort and we were going to totally pass on it i knew instantly we were going to be ready for or we were going to hit a month full of scams and here we are by the way just to reinforce with data your presuppositions there the the information from the new york city department of health here's what we know uh 70 uh, almost 74 percent of those who have died so far in new york city were over the age of 65 or older and 80 percent of those deaths were people who were pre-morbidity meaning um they you know clinical diabetes uh heart disease cancer uh you know uh, lung failure malfunction they were already pre-morbidity okay so 80 percent of those deaths were pre-morbidity or a pre-existing condition or an underlying cause um and they were 70 almost 74 percent of the deaths in new york city 65 and older okay also in new york city 4.9 percent of the deaths in new york city were to people under the age of 44 4.9 percent under the age of 44 of the deaths in new york city 4.9 percent next question 
This is from Jonathan Aragon, who says, If a real pandemic sweeps in the next five years, how much will the reaction to this virus hurt us in being prepared? Also, if not a virus, but a real emergency in general. It seems the amount of people willing to red pill this is growing almost as quickly as the list of frauds grows. Brilliant question. And I think it's, it, it, we've always been getting here from the whataboutism, you know, and everything else. Uh, you know, I used to joke years ago when you guys were just listeners to this show. Hey, is the baby less aborted if the Republican did it, right? Yes, you make those right. kinds of arguments. Is your, is your paycheck, is your job less gone if the Republican, if it, if it happened because the Republicans are in office? That level of tribalism, though the last few years has accelerated, it's been around pre-Trump longer than that. But the Trump era has has accelerated it to a point of existential conflict now. You know, I was talking to a good friend of mine today who the last few years has, will, will tell you, he's gone out of his way, you know, to try and entertain more liberal perspectives on things. Maybe he's been too rigid in his conservatism, listening to his daughters and getting some new perspectives. And maybe there's some things I should have should have considered. And he was telling me today, he's a very successful commodities trader, very successful. And he was telling me today, I got to tell you, this is like talking to, to the Trump people that he was frustrated with four years ago. That he it was just like, no matter what you what concern you had about Trump, he's God's anointed. You just hate Jesus and America. And now he's now he was telling me that he's getting this now four years later. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can quote Stanford, Oxford. Oh, they're right wing. Oxford is right wing. Okay. Um, this is a panic. We must have a panic. All of his new liberal friends are just, they, they're just, they, they're out of their damn minds. And he can't talk to him like he couldn't talk to his old conservative friends who had totally bought into Trumpism four years ago. Now he can't, they won't even accept objective data. And the reason why is threefold. I told him, number one, climate alarmism is a cult. And this plays into this notion that we are the problem, we are the disease. I was, I was, my wife and I were, were, were celebrating this morning our favorite local deli, Palmer's Deli, is reopening. Okay, I've spent this, I've spent the gross domestic product of Ecuador at that place the last ten years, and I have hatched many of my favorite political schemes in the back booth at a Palmer's. Deli. What is it? I could go for a Marshall Field right now. Isn't <laughs> yeah, that their yes. great sandwich? All right, Ooh, yes. and we were like celebrating this this onset sign of a return to normalcy and out our back window on our on our porch was a beautiful oreo landed right there on this back on the back porch and even took a few steps towards our window and you hear all these other all these birds chirping and the sun is out you know the, to the rest of creation it is springtime but the beings that are at the highest point of this creation we are hunkered down like it's the end of the world it's the upside down yes okay so I don't, I, I think it's because of climate alarmism has done that. And then there's, then that same group of people among them, they're split between those who wanted an apocalypse to happen on Trump's watch. So they could blame him for it. Or they were convinced he would not protect them and give them an, an apocalypse. So it would confirm their worst, their worst suspicions. We are at, we are beyond the point now. The melting pot is gone, I believe. Uh, we are we are we are beyond that. There is any level of objective data, folks. When Steve Day, when when the Stanfords of the world are seeking out the Tucker Carlsons and the Steve Daces of the world, okay, <laughs> I mean that just goes to show you that their own base will not listen to reason, just won't. And I don't see this improving anytime in the future. 
Because now a lot of the right that has wanted to think people like me who tried to warn them, this is where the left was taking America. You can't negotiate with these people. All right. There's no negotiating with the long before we knew what a drag queen story time hour was, it was, it was gay marriage then, but it was all the same arguments. All right. They wanted to be convinced. No, no, no. We can accommodate all these things. Much more of the right has come to this realization in the last few years. No, we really can't. The, the, the folks pushing this have no interest in accommodating us on any level. Even if I'm not down with, you know, putting the fun in fundamentalism like the Steve Day show is. Okay. Um, and, and so all of this is now out in the open. We will not go back to that again. We, we will not. And that's, that, is some, that is a legitimate fear when there is a real, this is a real pandemic, by the way, but when there's really one that, that is cause for you hiding in your homes for months on end without fear of, of, or knowing when to come out again, we won't believe it depending on who's the one telling us. That's just the reality. That, that's unfortunate, but we've been heading here for a long time as a culture. It's revival or bust which is another way of saying it's national divorce. It's revival or national divorce. That's the way that this is heading, I believe. Davis King asks, Steve, I've been working the whole time this mess has been going on, and now the things are back to, are on track to start opening up again. The business I'm working for is telling us we are looking at layoffs coming May 11th and not sure for how long. Is this what will start happening now that the real effects of being shut down hasn't really even hit so far? I'm thinking the real effects are just now starting to uh, really show because I really haven't missed a beat other than just staying at home after work. That's exactly right. See... The, the there's a Virginia has a, there's a story out of Virginia today. Seventy eight percent of restaurant bar workers are, are unemployed are, are filing for unemployment in Virginia. We haven't felt those are lagging indicators. We the the rest of us that aren't doing that haven't felt yet the impact of that. Look at what happened. Look at the news with oil today. I don't know. You know, if you look at every recession America has had, there's been a spike in oil prices has preceded every recession America's had in the last, like, I think it's four decades or something. But typically when we see a spike, spike in oil prices, there, it's typically driven by supply, right? Yes. All right. Meaning that there's a, you know, OPEC screwed us, isn't pumping as much oil, or we decided to listen to Sierra Club and not be energy independent because of the spotted owl, stuff like that, Right. I don't know how often, I, I'm, I'm sure there's an expert out there that could help get the answer to this. I'm not sure how often, though, we have seen a oil drive a depression based on a lack of demand. Because that lack of demand is all driven by mindset, mentality. I can't, I can't go anywhere. It's not safe to go anywhere. I shouldn't go anywhere. I shouldn't do anything. Uh, our manu- you know, I think a lot of people, when they just think of the price for oil, per oil, they look at the price of, of gasoline and that correlation. But you know, so many of the things and goods and services that you buy and purchase in your economy are petroleum or petro-based products. It's far beyond that. It's far beyond that. It, it is the most valuable substance in the world. And to see the... Where it's at right now and the trend line that it's at, my buddy that I wrote a column about him uh, back in January, who's retired now, very, very wealthy trader and living on his own private beach in Hawaii, he was sending me a note about this this morning. 
you know, Steve, people have no, I, I wrote about his thoughts on the economy back in January as he was getting ready to retire and right off into the sunset. He sent me a text this morning, said, Steve, people have no idea what seeing a demand for oil collapse the oil market really means. And what it really means is you're looking at weeks, if not months, if not longer of a lag time for this to get back going again because of how we nuked our ourselves. So unfortunately, Davis, I'm sorry for you, brother. We're fighting for people like you on this show. But your suspicion that your looming layoff is an indicator that after the reopen, we're going to face the aftershocks of this earthquake is exactly correct. Because as the great prophet Yogi Berra once said, half of this game is 90% mental. All right. One more before the break here. This is from Dwayne Harris, who says, why were Fauci and Burks the only epidemiologists on the task force? Why did Trump not form a true task force made up of the brightest epidemiologists from around the U.S. and let them come together and debate instead of having two old school individuals who don't think outside the box? Dwayne, when this is over and it will be over sooner rather than later, the shutdown part of it will be over sooner rather than later. When that is over, we need the we have to get to the answer of your question. That must be asked. And it's probably going to have to be asked by somebody on Fox or a friendly network to the president. Because I think that's the great mystery here. I, I originally thought it would be people like us at The Blaze or Daily Wire or Breitbart, you know, your usual suspects, who would be the ones questioning this and seeing it as a largely ideological battle. What I was shocked by was how immediate other academicians pushed back on this. Oxford immediately pushed back on the Imperial College survey. Stanford immediately pushed back on the University of Washington survey just one state over. Other places in academia who think we're flat earthers and are all in on Malthusian ethics and 57 genders and the earth's going to fry in 10,000 years, there's a lot of people that believe in all that stuff total Darwinians that, that pushed back on, what, on the, the apocalypse that Fauci Burks bought into this entire time. This entire time they did. We've cited them this whole time. Why they were not listened to, there might be a good reason. We deserve to know what it is. And that's one of the main questions we need to ask once we defeat these shutdowns. So Kyle and Josh were both losing their hair, no shock, since the dreaded male pattern baldness gene ran in each of their families, but the way they dealt with that hair loss could not have been more different. Kyle kept putting it off, doing the dude procrastinating thing, losing more hair by the day. Meanwhile, Josh, though, he was an adult. He went to Keeps to learn how to keep his hair because Keeps offers the generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products. That means these work. They're the real deal. But since they're the generic versions, you're going to save a fortune as well. All Josh needed was a quick online consultation. He then answered a few questions, snapped a few pics of his hair, and then voila! A doctor evaluated everything and recommended the right FDA-approved hair loss treatment for Josh, and it was shipped discreetly to his door. He never even had to leave his couch, which is, you're not allowed to leave that right now anyway, apparently, right? So if you want to get started like Josh, 
I got you half off your first order at keeps.com right now. Keeps.com slash grow is how you get half off of that first order at keeps.com slash grow. Again, that's keeps.com slash grow. Let's continue with our Monday Town Hall. It's the monthly Facebook Ask Me Anything edition. All right. This next one is from Todd Toulouse, who says, how likely is it that churches having online church services will find themselves being deplatformed by big tech, YouTube, Facebook, etc., while not being allowed to meet in person? Um, Can I answer real quick? Yes. While you're thinking. Yep. I think the only correct answer to this question is a hell of a lot more than mosques. I'll go with your answer. All right. Um, Lori Malvi says, in a year from now, when more detailed data and findings comes out regarding what we learned about COVID-19, do you think a total quarantine policy, uh, premises, isolation of elderly and the sick, uh, will become the norm for nursing homes to implement, i.e. move anyone sick completely out of the facility as soon as possible and into a COVID-19 only building to avoid the spread? I hope so. Yeah. I, I, I hope so. I mean, when you look at the amount of deaths we have seen in nursing homes, it's just tragic. It's just tragic. So I, I hope that's the answer. I, I, and when you look at sending the rest of the population home, I go back again to those New York City numbers. And that's going to be a worst case scenario because New York City is the outlier for the reasons we've talked about before. But even in New York City, uh, over 73% of the deaths were people 65 and older. And among those people, 80% of them had premorbidity. Only 4.9% of the, the deaths in New York City so far were to people 44 and younger. It looks like in, It looks like in New York City, more kids are actually going to die of the flu this year. In COVID-19. Children. Actual kids. Here's why that matters. Who who does the work and creates the revenue and resources to make that kind of infrastructure to, to care for the least of these in our society? Who does that? The majority of it is done by people under the age of 44. So to send home all that ingenuity, all that all that work ethic, send it all home. Was just dumb. It was just dumb. And the next few months we're going to pay a very hefty economic toll for this. And that's why we need that's not we're not going to avoid that, folks. We are that we will not avoid that. And that's why we have to end these lockdowns. Now, get busy living or get busy dying. The sooner we pay that toll, it's going to suck and it will be painful. But the longer we stay locked down, the suckier and more painful it gets. And that's the same thing with the process to herd immunity. I read a study out of India. They have some of the finest doctors in the world there. India keeps trying to bring to trial a vaccine for this. And what they find is that the the virus mutates so fast that by the time they think they've got some kind of compound or something isolated that they can then begin human trials with, it's mutated so fast that the the trial, there's no point in it. That's why we've had to, the flu virus does this too. That's why we've had to change the flu vaccine a million times since the 40s. 
That's why they gave up on the first SARS coronavirus. It mutated so fast that every time they brought it to human trial, it was... And the funding dried up because people realized we're not going to be able to make money on this vaccine. We can't keep up with it. And it's burned itself out anyway. So what's the point? So I hope that's what we learned. I will tell you one of my best contacts who's working closely on medical supply chains with the Trump administration. He told me a few weeks ago, I didn't tell you guys in the audience this. I did share this with the two of you off the air. He told me a few weeks ago, and I mean, he's been down in Puerto Rico and everything else. He told me a few weeks ago that this effort they're mounting now with the masks and the testing, the equipment, it, it, you know, and that was before we had a lot of the more promising data that we have that we have right now. But he told me a month ago, they're not sure we'll put a dent in it right now. This is for the, being prepared if this ever happens again. So I hope that you're correct. All right. This next one is a two-part question from two uh, different uh, Facebook users. Uh, Paul Monahan says, if people are waiting on a vaccine before they feel it's safe to reopen the country, what happens if the virus mutates again? You just addressed this and becomes resistant to the vaccine. Next question is from Dan Earhart, who says, I'd love to hear Todd's take on the link between the flu vaccine and coronaviruses. Could this explain the high infection rate in nursing homes and healthcare workers? Yeah, I think we just answered the first question. It, just to give you a little more context, I'll, I'll let you handle the second one. Um, I'm, I don't feel comfortable or knowledgeable enough to answer a question like that anyway. So I'm going to either pass or give it to somebody else. But on the first question, um, with, with today's technology, isolating a virus or a contagion in a lab and coming up with something that deteriorates it it's not difficult to do. I, I, I would bet you that they have come up with dozens, if not a hundred already that in an, in an isolated environment in a lab crushed the, the SARS two novel coronavirus. The question is though, can I put that in a human being? That's the debate. Okay. It's safe for us. That's why Jonas Salk had to go on TV and inject his own children with the polio virus in the 50s to convince America that this one was safe. So he injected his own kids. That's the issue. What, what's the law of unintended consequences here? Okay, so I, do I bring back smallpox, shingles? I'm being extreme here to make a point, okay? But that's the issue, is, is what happens when I put it in a human being? And then what happens when I put it in millions of human beings? Maybe billions of human beings, what happens? That's what takes so long. That's why they told you when this first broke a month and a half ago, 12 to 18 months minimum. That's why they told you that. It's not because it was going to take them 12 to 18 months to come up with something that would be a threat to the SARS-2 novel coronavirus. But because it was going to take 20, 12 to 18 months to find that minimum and then f make sure it's safe to give to people that we don't start another health crisis. That's why I told you all along the odds were greater they would never come up with a vaccine than they would have one in 12 to 18 months. And every day that goes by, the odds on that get better and better and better and better. So I, I know that a lot of us, and again, this is where I get ready to hand this off to you. Even though those of us who are pro-vaccination, we have been taught that this is some kind of holy grail. That, that um, 
these are magical. We have, we, we have been taught about them a, a level of scientism, not science. Let me give you what I mean by that. What was the movie where Matt Damon was stranded on Mars a few years ago? The Martian. Martian. The Martian. And, and there's a line there that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to science the poop out of this, right? Yes. Okay? That's scientism. Science is magic. I can conjure things with science. That's scientism. Actual science will tell you, if you look at the history of vaccine, it takes years. Years. Smallpox killed as many people on this planet as anything in human history. And it wasn't until the 1980s that the WHO said, we've pretty much eradicated it. We don't have to give every kid a vaccine for it anymore. So there's science and then there's scientism. I'm all for finding an actual vaccine that works to it. I just think the odds of that are low. And I think the odds of that in, in, in a time period that doesn't just end our way of life for a, for, for a virus whose mortality rate doesn't justify it isn't worth the risk of risking all of, all of Western civilization and American exceptionalism on this. I don't think it's worth the risk. In fact, I know it's not. All the data comes in. The more data we get, the more obvious that becomes. That's why people are protesting in California, Washington State, you know, deep red Washington State, Minnesota, which, which sent Paul Wellstone to the Senate for years. It's not worth that risk. So if you don't have a vaccine, you got to do this the old fashioned way, which is herd immunity. How do we get there? Well, we got to find out how many people are infected already, how many people have antibodies already, and then the people that have the younger, healthier immune systems, get them out and about, out of their homes, at the parks, living life, so they can spread more of that immunity and antibodies, and, and, that, and that way, when the, when the one or two people come into their homes for, th for Thanksgiving this year, and grandpa's infected, but everybody else there has pretty much had, had it already or antibodies, grandpa doesn't reinfect everybody else. That's how this is supposed to work. We're putting that process off, too. At the very least, if you don't want to send these kids back to school, send them to all the parks. Get them outside. Soaking in that vitamin D, all that sunlight, and then send them home. This is dumb. It's just dumb. Dumb, guys. It's dumb. That's why all the arguments in favor of doing this are getting dumber and worser. Because people are just doubling down on pride, and I, I want to win the election. I really believe that's what's driving the vast majority of this now. Todd, your thoughts on the second question. Well, I'm so glad you brought up the notion of scientism. Um, you're, you're, you're dead on. And it's it's why now you can talk about like, vitamin D and sunlight and exercise. And people think that's like kooky sorcery. That's the oldest science it's, there is. Exactly. But that's kooky, uh, you know, granola-aged sorcery. Uh, listen, and this, it also, people don't understand that as bad as polio was, most people who got the polio virus had the symptoms of the common cold. But you don't know that anymore. You just think that everybody on Earth was going to die unless that, uh, that vaccine came. That curve, that herd immunity was happening. Historically, the curve was coming down already, and the polio virus is at the very end of that. So we have all that magical thinking that develops. And I, I only included the, the, the question for a very uh, fundamental reason, because when Steve and I were kids, and if you're our age, we got a, uh, about 17-ish 
vaccines. Mm-hmm. Now a baby who's born has roughly a total of 40 and build up over time after time after time. And we, we, the Department of Defense just put out a statistic this weekend, if I'm not mistaken, about coronavirus and flu vaccines. And you are 36% more likely to have gotten the coronavirus if you had the flu vaccine. Now that needs to be followed up on, fleshed out on. But the point is over and over and over again, a lifetime. And if you're 80, you're more likely to get a flu vaccine if you you are in a nursing home than anybody. I mean, you are just getting that as a matter of course. And how have our bodies over time been hampered at being able to strike the balance between natural immunity and whatever benefits vaccines can provide? There's right now a stat, the Department of Defense, it's out there 30% more likely. We need to follow up on that. It's the, it's, I'm just, I, the only reason I included this question because there's more and more data about this kind of stuff than ever before. Just follow the data. It, that doesn't take courage. It just takes honesty. With our own children, by the way, we largely res- restricted the immunizations and vaccinations with, with a few limited exceptions to just the ones that we got when we were kids as well. It was just outrageous the amount of things they wanted to inject our kids with. And and they wanted us to hit our daughters with HPVs when they got right. their periods and everything else. No, no, I'm not doing all of that. So, I mean, I grew up in a medical home. My mom was a, was a nurse, worked ERs, everything from ERs to med stations. Okay. I mean, I, I worked with her. Some of my first summer jobs were working with her in you know, doing medical records and stuff like that for summer part-time work. I'm, I'm, I love the, the medical ingenuity, but the amount of times they wanted to stick our kids with stuff, I just found it to be, I'd even call my mom, mom, do they really need to do this? Nope. Last, last, it was about a year ago at this time that I had the heart palpitations here and ended up in the ear. You guys remember that? Yeah, of course. All right? It was just ended up too much caffeine. That whole time I was talking to my mom, who's admitted to the hospital at least once or twice a year with every bug imaginable because she has like no immune system. She was one of the Americans that actually got H1N1. And, um, and she's like, hey, now here's what they're going to do. When you come in, all right, after I started, after it was pretty clear, I was, I was fine. She, she literally predicted to me everything the hospital was going to demand I come home with, like, like, a, like a Tony Stark arc reactor heart monitor and all this. She told me everything. Now, she's not even worked for 10 years. She predicted everything they said, and she, and she told me, this you should do. You don't need to do this. They'll overreact. This you have to do. You don't have to do that. Now, that was with a middle-aged guy with heart palpitations. They see heart disease all the time. It's the number one killer in America, right? 600,000 people die every year from heart heart disease. The number one killer in America. If they're doing that with something that well-researched, well-documented, well-practiced, what do you think they're doing with with a contagion they've never seen before? Know what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you think they're doing then with everything else new all of the time? Take a deep breath. My 12-year-old daughter doesn't need an HPV, but thank you. Okay. And I, I don't need to walk out of here looking like a transformer, okay? It's okay to ask questions. Their job is to err on the side of caution every time for two reasons. One, they probably care about you. And then number two, because most people don't get into this because they don't like other people or care about them, all right? You won't survive very long in the medical field if you're not a people person. You just won't. Because who are you trying to heal? People. Most of the time, it's because they care about you. The other is because the liability they face all the time is so prohibitive, they have to have it on the record that they went way overboard on everything in case something goes wrong and you try to sue the pants off them later on. 
So keep asking all the questions you have. Aaron's wife's a nurse. I'm sure if you're here today, she'd back up pretty much everything I'm telling you right now. It's okay to ask questions. That's what they're trained to do. Essentially overreact everything just to be on the safe side. Why do you think they're going to react to, if they're trained to overreact on everything anyway? What do you think they're going to do with something like this that could be the worst pandemic we've ever seen? I mean, you're going to supersize it at that point. Yeah. So that's why it's okay to ask questions. All right, good show today, if I do say so myself. We're going to stick around with the overtime and talk about why Joe Biden's candidacy has been heavily boosted by coronavirus. All right, blazetv.com slash days. For the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.